This is Retirement Talk with Mike Graber from Compass Retirement Advisors. When a part of your financial strategy is out of tune, your long-term goals, your retirement savings, and your legacy can all suffer. With many years of experience in the financial industry, Mike Graber provides his clients and prospects with the information they need regarding Social Security, retirement income planning, wealth management, and much more. Listen in as we address your financial concerns and provide helpful strategies to put you on the path to achieving your retirement goals. And now, here is Retirement Talk with Mike Graber. Hello, everyone. Great to have you with us today. Welcome to Retirement Talk with Mike Graber. In last week's uh, discussion, we suggested some steps that might help to better handle uh, economic volatility and market volatility. If you uh, missed that show, I'd encourage you to go to our website, compassretirementadvisorsllc.com. Click on the radio tab and you can listen to that show. And a reminder, you can subscribe to Retirement Talk with Mike Graber at uh, Apple Play, Spotify, and other uh, podcast media. Today, we're going to discuss Medicare, but perhaps uh, in a way that's a little different than what you might expect and uh, certainly different than the way we've discussed Medicare in prior shows. But first, uh, I want to get us back on track. It's time to uh, update our usdebtclock.org information uh, for you. I hope that from time to time, you go to that website and uh, become familiar with that. There's just a lot of information there, and we only uh, direct your attention to a few of those here on our show. But uh, as of May 5th, that's the day we're recording this episode, the U.S. debt total was $30.4 trillion. Uh, My share of that and Tony's share of that and your share of that, if you're a U.S. taxpayer, is only $242,500. The current budget deficit is $2.1 trillion. And what is the budget deficit? How is that defined? Uh, that's simply the difference between what the government has spent so far in the fiscal year and the amount of money that the IRS has collected. Uh, current unfunded liabilities are $169.2 trillion, and that comes out to a mere $508,000 per U.S citizen. So a little tongue in cheek there and and in jest certainly (laughs) that a half a million dollars per U.S. citizen is what we owe just to pay off the promises and the contract guarantees that the government has already made. And as we all know, they want to make more, it seems like uh, every time they meet in Washington, D.C. Yeah, it's our money they're spending. That's right. And, And they think that they're really good at that. Um, a couple numbers we've not uh, really uh, talked about before, but official U.S. population is 332,894,000. And of that, there are 125 million taxpayers. A couple more categories. Uh, there are 22 million millionaires in the United States. And on the other end, there are 40 million people receiving food stamps. Uh, There are 65 million Medicare enrollees and 84 million Medicaid recipients. So one in four Americans are receiving some type of Medicaid benefit. Wow. And suffice it to say, there's uh, just a lot of numbers uh, here, and those are not numbers that would uh, indicate uh, a healthy financial Uh, society. And we talk about that, you know, in most of our shows here that we think things are pretty serious when it comes to this debt deficit picture. 
far too many people are dependent on the government. You know, if our system has created that or not, uh, it is what it is. And where does it all lead? Uh, how does our nation's uh, debt deficit, unfunded liability situation potentially impact our retirement? Well, that's uh, why we exist here at Compass Retirement Advisors. We feel that uh, it's eventually going to lead to much higher tax rates for all Americans, and it's going to uh, come with some combination of changes to uh, government uh, support programs as well. And uh, if the likelihood of increased tax rates isn't enough, uh, you know, inflation is the big word right now. Well, uh, yeah, it seems to be seems to be roaring. Market uh, volatility, and that, inflation, and interest rates, right? I mean, yeah, those are the yeah. topic du jour right now. Yeah, that's right. That's that's the big storm that uh, we're all trying to navigate. Yeah. But, you know, inflation has the, the same impact as tax increases. True. Uh, it means for uh, everybody that um, we have less money, you know, in our pockets after they uh, increase taxes. We have less money in our pockets when I have to pay $4.10 for gas. Uh, grocery uh, expenses, uh, and on and on. And if the government tax, if they take more, or we pay more, as I'm saying, for goods and services, then it's the same uh, outcome. It reduces our wealth. It reduces the money we have to spend on our own lifestyle and needs. It reduces uh, what we can transfer on to our kids. So we, uh, we believe it's important to prepare. Make sure your financial plan is in as good of order as you can make it. You know, some of our tenants don't pay unnecessary tax. Don't take unnecessary risk with your funds. Uh, avoid unnecessary fees and expenses on your investment accounts. And finally, uh, make sure that your legacy distribution plan does not penalize uh, your non-spouse beneficiaries with uh, higher taxes. Well, if you've not yet uh, addressed these planning issues, or maybe you would just uh, simply like a second opinion, Call me at 812-787-0809. We'll be happy to take a look at your current planning and give you a a second opinion. Uh, One announcement before I uh, ask Tony to jump in here with us today. Uh, On May 19th, uh, I'll be at the Cambridge Golf and Country Club just north of Evansville, kind of uh, across from AmeriQuell, if you know where that is. And uh, we'll be presenting uh, the third uh, session of our spring retirement uh, workshop this year. So that uh, starts at um, 6 p.m. Uh, the theme of our uh, spring workshops has been America at a crossroad. And if you'd like to attend, RSVPs are required. So again, my number is 812-787-0809. Hey, Tony, uh, I'll have you jump in here uh, with us. Uh, we're going to talk about Medicaid, I'm sorry, Medicare today uh, in ways that we haven't before. So uh, thanks again. Uh, and thanks always uh, for being part of our show here. Oh, no problem, Mike. It's uh, it's great to be here. I appreciate you having me on the show. I look forward to it each week because uh, usually you have some uh, insight and I learn something new from you each and every week. Uh, it's been crazy out there. I mean, you know, with the market volatility and the markets being down 10 to 12% overall, and we've seen some jumps up and down <laughs> in the last few days. And then the Fed announces that they're going to uh, raise interest rates by uh, half a percent, which is the most, that's biggest single increase uh, they've done in over 20 years, right? Yeah, and uh, I was uh, kind of taken back a little bit at the discussions yesterday. They were uh, the, even contemplating uh, as much as a uh, 
uh, 75 uh, basis right. point uh, jump, but they've kind of taken that off the table here for the future. But uh, you know, when inflation is running at, at 40-year highs, uh, they're trying to get ahead of it. We certainly don't want to go back to the Paul Volcker days where we had interest rates at 21. And I remember people talking to a gentleman this morning at the office who remembered you know, CDs at 16%, 17%, zero coupon bonds at really high rates. And uh, it pretty well just uh, killed off the entire economy there for a while and took uh, quite a long recovery. So I, I do hope that uh, Chairman Powell and the Federal Reserve can uh, navigate what they uh, all want, which is a soft landing uh, and, and not some type of heavy or, or deep uh, recession. But when it comes to market volatility, yeah, what's 1,000 points today and 1,000 points tomorrow? Um, they'll, they'll get it figured out at some point. But that all necessitates why it's really important to, to have your plan in order. Well, for sure. And uh, I, think, I think that's really important. Now, uh, you said you wanted to talk a bit about Medicare and switch gears here a little bit, right? Yeah, uh, I, I do. And, um, you know, it, this really stems from a phone call, Tony, that I received uh, from a client who's also a regular listener. And she called me one afternoon and said, uh, hey, Mike, I, I appreciate your shows and we think you do a good job of uh, informing us uh, about the, uh, you know, overall economic picture here uh, in our country. And you've mentioned Medicare at times. Uh, how about uh, taking a show and devoting uh, some time to some ideas that could uh, actually maybe preserve Medicare uh, for the long term? And you know what? I thought to myself, that's a really good idea. So we uh, you know, put on our research uh, hat and uh, found uh, a good, I think a really good article again in Kiplinger. I think they do pretty good work. Uh, and it's actually entitled Five Fixes That Could Help Save Medicare. Uh, and I think there's some things that are uh, eye-opening there. And I want to remind our listeners as well about the Committee for Responsible Federal Budget, Maya McGinnis' group, crfb.org. Uh, they have uh, you know, written on these same types of issues, uh, what the government needs to be doing now to uh, prevent some of the uh, uh, potential issues that we're, we're looking at. So yeah. yeah, I think we've got some uh, good info to share today for our listeners, Tom. Excellent. So what are some of the key things uh, that could help save Medicare? Well, let's uh, start with some of the basics. You know, for uh, years now, we've all seen plenty of the news stories with uh, the, you know, these headlines that we've been talking about that Medicare is potentially in, in big trouble thanks to a couple of things, subpar funding, and then everybody knows you know, how much uh, medical costs have been increasing. Uh, as it stands right now, by 2026, and uh, that's just a couple of years down the road, Medicare's trust fund for Part A could begin to run dry. And uh, we want to remember that Part A covers inpatient care at both hospitals and skilled nursing facilities. And you know, Part A is mainly funded through uh, our payroll tax. Uh, employers and employees both kick in uh, a percentage, uh, and you know, high-income earners you know, pay a little bit more. The Congressional uh, Budget Office, or the CBO, projects that another $516 billion is needed to cover uh, the program's uh, shortfall between just 2026 and 2031. Uh, and uh, as typical, uh, without the government taking action, uh, there's uh, some, some issues on the horizon. Medicare only has enough revenue to cover about 91% of the Part A costs beginning in 2026. So we either have to make up that deficiency, that shortfall, 
in some way. Uh, sure. We certainly don't want to be cutting benefits to those who need it, and we're ever uh, mindful and concerned about you know raising uh, taxes uh, every time we turn around. So that's kind of where we're at right now with uh, the Medicare Part A, Tony. Well, those numbers got my attention. <laughs> those are some big numbers. So uh, what about Parts B and D? What's what's going on with Medicare Parts B and D? All right. Well, B and D, uh, those cover uh, things like, you know, visits to the doctor, uh, prescriptions, respectively. Uh, they're funded through premiums that the beneficiaries of these uh, parts of Medicare receive uh, and tax revenues. There are some good news. There's some bad news. Uh, the good news is that parts B and D are, are currently well-funded because their um, spending is tied to expected uh, yearly expenses. Uh, the bad news, however, is that uh, that current funding uh, mechanism doesn't necessarily mean parts B and D are on solid long-term economic uh, footing. Part B expenses seem to be rising faster than uh, those for Part A and uh, are even outpacing the uh, overall uh, economy. And we've talked, you know, on previous shows, uh, and this article at Kiplinger makes it pretty clear that eventually Congress will need uh, to address uh, Medicare. It seems that every political season, it's an issue that comes up. Uh, In my opinion, uh, address it. Uh, they will eventually because the program is nothing short of essential for um, every uh, American. And the only question uh, is how um, government um, decides to, uh, uh, you know, fund the, the changes or, uh, you know, change formulas to, to make it work at the end of the day. Well, yeah, and, and, Obviously, these all the parts of Medicare are important, and so many people rely uh, on these programs, and that's that's uh, a big concern. And uh, I think uh, Medicare obviously needs a little help. So, what do you think should be done? I mean, what are they thinking it can be done? Well, uh, a potential fix uh, first is to you know maybe increase uh, the eligibility age above the current age sixty five. Um, some members of Congress have uh, advocated actually for lowering the age to 60, which would put more people on a program that's already financially strapped. Um, that, you know, political issues like that, we don't really like to, to, to jump in the middle of, but fact is that's, that's what they're thinking about. You know, lowering the age certainly wouldn't help the program's, uh, um, you know, balance sheet. Um, the article argues that because of uh, the changing demographics here in the United States, there may well be no choice but to raise the eligibility sooner than later. Um, Medicare became law back in 1965, and a 65-year-old man was expected to live about 13 years at that time, and a 65-year-old woman was expected to live maybe another 16 years. Uh, Today, uh, those numbers have changed. uh, up to 18 years for men and, and 20 years for women. And at the same time, there are fewer workers paying into the system, contributing uh, the taxes that support the beneficiaries. So uh, you can see that's a, a formula that, that's, that's not going to continue to work. Uh, in 1966, there were 4.6 workers supporting one enrollee at the time. And in 2030, is expected that there will only be 2.3 workers 
supporting each enrollee. And, and again, you can see how uh, that's a direction that's just not sustainable with uh, current benefit levels. No. No, it really isn't. And I'm sure that for at least some of our listeners out there, Mike, especially people in their late 50s, maybe early 60s, the idea of uh, Medicare eligibility age, uh, the idea of that going up uh, might cause some concern. So what are some of the pros and cons here? Well, uh, increasing the eligibility um, may go down easier than, than, than we think because something similar ha- has happened before. In 83, 1983, Congress uh, actually increased the full retirement age for Social Security from age 65 to uh, 67, uh, spread out over a 22-year window that began in, in 2000. Uh, and the Congressional Budget Office predicts that you know, increasing Medicare's eligibility age, uh, that would slash billions uh, from uh, the uh, federal deficit and, and from uh, the expenses of the program. So I, I think we'll see uh, some of that um, being carried into the Medicare eligibility, just like it has been previously for Social Security. Sure. Yeah, and that, and that makes sense. So uh, what are the cons then? Well, uh, the cons are probably pretty obvious if we, th- if we think here just for a second. Uh, employers and young seniors would have to pay for health care that Medicare uh, previously covered and expenses that uh, would likely you know, be in the billions each year, according uh, to Kiplinger. Um, raising the eligibility age could also drive up the out-of-pocket costs for people who were already on Medicare. And we think, well, why? Uh, because people first coming you know, into Medicare are younger and healthier than the older recipients. But if the eligibility went up, it would mean that the pool of people who are participating, uh, that average age would be older. And with that comes, you know, some health um, uh, issues. Sure. So they'd be changing uh, the pool. Uh, and that's going to change again uh, uh, how you know things are calculated and, and what they're spread over. Yeah. And it would probably also be possible that an older Medicare eligibility age could leave some people uninsured. Well, you know, it, it could. And uh, Tony, uh, I know that in conversations that I have with people in, in their retirement planning, uh, most people would like to retire uh, early. And mm-hmm. it seems the prevailing question is, you know, what am I going to do for health insurance? You know, what am I going to do for, um, you know, protecting my family in the case I get sick. And so they start raising the eligibility age for, for Medicare. Then uh, there's going to be more people uh, asking that same question. How do we uh, get to retirement? Uh, how do we provide for our health insurance um, before um, you know, we retire? It's, it's a very expensive uh, question. And, and what you're saying, it's a very uh, real possibility. Again, according to the congressional budget office, uh, if uh, an older eligibility age was implemented, you know, back in 2020. By 2026, they're uh, estimating that 3.7 million people would have been affected, and that's about a 5% change. And with those people potentially becoming, you know, uninsured, and that's that's not uh, a healthy situation. No, no, it really isn't. So. Uh, you've been addressing uh, the Medicare issue and talking about uh, some possible fixes for Medicare. Uh, what's next? 
Well, let's uh, continue with our Kiplinger article, Five Fixes That Could Help Save uh, Medicare, which uh, next offers up uh, earmarking revenue from an existing tax as a way to potentially make uh, Medicare more viable uh, in the decades to come. And Congress could use uh, the unearned income Medicare contribution tax, which is also known as the net investment tax, and, and directly use it to fund Medicare. Uh, that tax was established in 2010 to help pay for the Affordable Care Act, something we're all very familiar with. Uh, but that money currently goes into the government's general fund. Uh, <laughs> the general fund. I laugh whenever I hear that because you know what happens uh, when money goes into the general fund. Yeah, tell us, Tony, what happens when the money goes in the general it fund. It disappears. It disappears. And it could be used that's, for that's anything right. and everything, to build a bridge to nowhere in some senator's state uh, that isn't needed, or it just disappears. Yeah, and that, that happens especially at local levels and state levels, but it does also happen on a federal level. So you don't ever want anything that should be helping with health care to go into the general fund. That's right. Kind of like the uh, Social Security uh a trust fund, you know, they're, they're supposed, to <laughs> yeah. been a, supposed to have been a lockbox on that thing, but I think they uh, broke it open and, uh, the, you know, now we have IOU notes in there, it, it seems like. Yeah. But, you know, the biggest pro, I think, uh, for this one uh, is it would make it easier for Congress to, to live with. You know, legislation has to find uh, a way to get passed, and there's a lot of compromise. And so oftentimes it's not what's best for the country, it's what Uh, they can um, agree to in in Washington. But the tax currently hits high uh, wage earners, uh, $200,000 for single filers and $250,000 for joint filers. And uh, those individuals pay an additional 3.8% tax on uh, investment income, things like dividends. But the, uh, the other side, the flip side, the con here, according to critics is, that it would do a little more than, you know, shuffle the money around without truly addressing how to make uh, Medicare sustainable, you know, into the future. Uh, unless health care costs are addressed, uh, you know, premiums will continue to go up. Well, and uh, let's, we have to conclude, we're almost out of time, but uh, wrap it up for us. Obviously, Medicare is important. And I know health care costs is something you take into consideration when you formulate plans for the clients you work with. It is, Tony, and I want to try and get a quick story in here about, you know, like Medicare Part B. Uh, That's based on our income, and uh, we had an individual that came to us kind of after the fact a couple years ago, and their Medicare Part B premiums had gone through the roof. They had sold uh, a property after they had gone on to uh, Medicare, and uh, that hits their uh, uh, income calculation that determines Part B premium. So things uh, that might seem like, well, it doesn't really matter when, but they sold their property in a window where they shouldn't have sold it. That should have been planned well in advance. And it cost them each a few hundred dollars a month for a couple of years just because uh, they didn't have a strategy in place uh, on when to uh, you know, dispose of, of those investment properties. So, yeah, it's, it's a, a big picture, a big puzzle, and uh, it's not that easy to fit all the pieces together. And I hope that uh, if anyone listening has questions about that, they'll call me at 812-787-0809, and we'll uh, be happy to spend time with them and answer their questions. Uh, That's uh, it for today's episode of Retirement Talk with Mike Graber. Join us again next week 
Have a great week. Be safe and uh, tune in again next Sunday. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Retirement Talk. Don't pay too much for taxes or retire without a sound income plan. For more information, contact Mike Graber at Compass Retirement Advisors. Call 812-787-0809 or visit them online at Compass Retirement Advisors, LLC. Investment advisory services provided by ChangePath LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Compass Retirement Advisors LLC, the Insurance Shop Inc. and ChangePath LLC are unaffiliated entities. Mike Graber and Compass Retirement Advisors are not affiliated with or endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any government agency. Provided content is for overview and informational purposes only and is not intended and should not be relied upon as individual tax, legal, fiduciary, or investment advice. Each individual situation will vary and opinions expressed here may not apply to everyone. Materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources and no representation presentations can be made to its accuracy. All ideas and information should be discussed in detail with one of our qualified representatives prior to representation. The information contained herein is based on our understanding of current tax law. The tax and legislative information may be subject to change and different interpretation. We recommend that you seek professional legal advice for applicability to your personal situation.